When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 6. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Dark Paranormal. A big thank you to everyone who reached out last week following the premiere of Season 6 with the Smell Family Haunting. As we've said, the amazing suggestions for this season have all come directly from you, the listener. And although many of you got in touch to say that that was the scariest episode to date in your opinion, I can guarantee you we've only just begun. Because in today's episode, we're going to take a look at a family that was targeted by an entity so malevolent and so powerful. It could not only move objects and physically attack the members of the family. It could also communicate with them, occasionally even using modern technology. But before we discuss what I think is one of our most interesting cases to date, we of course need to say a big thank you to our newest Patreon members. When you sign up to Patreon, not only do you support this independent podcast, you also receive each episode before everyone else and ad-free. On top of that, you receive a Patreon-only podcast each and every week called Dark Bites, where we look at some of the paranormal experiences that we couldn't fit on the main show. That show also runs every week of the year, even on the break in between seasons, meaning that you never miss your paranormal fix. We've built a fantastic group of like-minded individuals over at our Patreon team, and we'd like to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. So head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal, just like these wonderful new team members have. Peblo Abreu, Erica Ferguson, Matt Bennett, Webhead82, Amanda Bellick, Grace Oaks, James Gardner, Samantha Davis, Saad Zafir, Joshua Thompson, Ashley Sullinger, Karain Foster, Jasmine Leno, Ron Ivory, Sabrina Seaborn, Jeff Merritt, Rachel, Joe Beckinsall, Danielle McLaughlin, Dee Darby, Emily Kenobi, Raina Vega, Emily Seddon, A Happy Squid, RMCR, Karina Gonzalez, Maria Olsen, Zach Foreman, Georgie R, Courtney Petrucci, Daniel Nelson and Maria Vell. Thank you so much guys for joining our team and supporting the show. I hope you enjoy all the extra content and of course the early ad-free releases. So to join our team of wonderful like-minded individuals, head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. But for now, lower the lights, make yourself comfortable, and most importantly, leave your disbelief at the door. As we take a look at one of the most terrifying hauntings in recent years, this is the South Shields Poltergeist. In the far northeast of England, on the coast of the North Sea, is the region 
of South Shields. Like most coastal regions in the north, when the Industrial Revolution hit, it experienced a boom in growth and an increase in the divide between wealth and poverty. Collieries opened, providing employment to miners and valuable exports for the merchants. Like every working port in Britain, its dockyards were bombed heavily, first by the Zeppelins of World War I and then by the Luftwaffe of World War II, leading to hundreds of dead. No port in Britain lost more seafarers during the Second World War than the port of South Shields. It is not a region without its scars, nor its darkness. That's not to say the area isn't beautiful. The charm, history and character of a working coastal town is a hard pull for lots of people. No more so than for Amy and Stephen Wilson and their three-year-old son, Robert. South Shields was their home and their new house, the base from which they would start their young family's journey. However, fate, and something much darker, would decide that journey would begin in a terrifying way. Stephen kissed his wife goodbye and headed off for the first of this week's night shifts. Amy didn't mind the unsociable hours he had to work. The bills wouldn't pay themselves. But in the few months since moving in, something hadn't felt right. Nothing she could point to or put her finger on, but definitely something. Like the sensation you have when a TV is on mute in another room. You know it's turned on in there, but you can't describe the slight awareness that tells you it is. There had been things, knocks, bangs, sensations... But she'd put this down to getting used to a new house. She waved from the doorway as Stephen sank into the driver's seat. She closed the front door and stood on the bottom step of the stairs, listening intently. She'd put her son, Robert, down about an hour before. It had gone 8.30 now, and she was listening for any signs of unrest. She smiled at the welcome silence that greeted her. Heading into the kitchen, she set the baby monitor up on the side, unfolding the ironing board and hoisting the basket of laundry up onto the kitchen table. She liked this house. It was a solid old house. Not like these new-build places with hollow walls and plasterboard everywhere. This was a home. The sort of place it would be great to raise... Amy glanced at the monitor and sighed. Robert was awake, sitting up in bed. Oh, great, she muttered to herself, placing the iron back in its holder. She was about to set off upstairs when something moved in the image on the screen. Robert had his side to the camera and was facing the end of the bed, giggling. At the end of the bed, the blackness of where the camera light wasn't reaching seemed to, well, move. And then, through the speaker, Amy thought she could make out someone whispering. Amy jumped at the sound, 
At first, she thought it was static, but then realised it was also coming from behind her, from upstairs, not just from the speaker. She ran upstairs to find the shower running at full pressure. She headed into the bathroom and turned off the shower. She then ran into Robert's room. Hello, Mummy, he said. Amy composed herself and replied in a soft tone, Why are you still up, love? She wasn't expecting Robert's response. Oh, I was talking to the man. The following week, Stephen and Amy were driving back from a friend's house. Amy stared out of the window, contemplating if she should even say what's on her mind. But she decided she would. Steve, you're going to think I'm mad, but I think the house is haunted. Interestingly enough, Stephen didn't respond with the laughter or mocking that she expected. He just focused on the road ahead. Why'd you say that? Amy explained all about the shower, the noises she'd heard, and just the general feeling that the place was giving her. Steve slowly nodded before saying, No, I don't think it's haunted, you know. Oh, right then, must just be me. Amy said sarcastically. Something didn't tally with his response. She knew his demeanour. She knew when he was affected by something or worried. And this was it. What wasn't he telling me, she thought. They slowly pulled into the driveway of the house. Her brother, Michael, who was babysitting Robert, heard the car pull up and open the front door, walking out to greet them as they got out of the car. This doesn't look good, muttered Stephen as he opened the car door. What's wrong? Is Robert okay? spluttered Amy, reading the worried look on her brother's face. He's fine, he's fine, Michael replied. But you both need to come and see this. Amy and Stephen gave each other a concerned glance and followed Michael back into the house. So I put Robert to bed, I came downstairs and I was watching TV. And then I thought I heard him staring upstairs, so I came to check. And that's when I saw it. Michael pointed up to the landing. What the? muttered Stephen. Both he and Amy were speechless as they looked up to see Robert's wooden rocking horse hanging by its rope reins from the hatch of the loft. I didn't move it down as I didn't think you'd believe me, said Michael. Amy and Stephen didn't know what to say. Finally, Stephen grabbed a broom from the kitchen and made his way upstairs, pushing the loft hatch open and scooping the falling rocking horse under his arm. What's going on here? Michael whispered to his sister. Amy just shot him a glance. I've no idea. Whatever was in the house initially seemed to be using Robert's toys as a way to scare both Amy and Stephen. All the while, Robert was completely unfazed by the happenings and had now started to say he could both see and was conversing with a man by the name of Sammy in the house. The couple had just arrived back after dropping Robert off at Amy's parents for the afternoon and were about to head out shopping. Kids have imaginary friends, shrugged Stephen as he blew on his cup of coffee in the kitchen, leaning against the unit. Are you not seeing what I'm seeing? replied Amy from the kitchen table, 
Well, you haven't actually seen anything, said Stephen. Listen, listen, I'm just playing devil's advocate, he quickly added, sensing the impending heated debate he had no interest in partaking in. Imaginary friends don't hang wooden horses from the ceiling, Amy replied, again just to a shrug from Stephen. Amy shook her head and stood up. She started to go upstairs but stopped. Stephen, come here please, she said calmly. He joined her in the hallway and she pointed up to the landing. A small child's chair from a play desk of Robert's was sat precariously at the top of the stairs, dead centre of the top step. Did you do that for a joke? asked Stephen. For God's sake, Stephen, Amy snapped. Open your eyes. Do you not think I've got better things to do than try and scare you? All right, calm down, said Stephen, raising his hands in mock defence. He headed slowly up the stairs, Amy following on the steps behind him. As they approached the top, I don't believe it. Look at that, said Stephen. He nodded behind the children's chair. In a line behind the chair were a row of toy cars from Robert's toy box. At the end of the line, as if being led by the procession of cars, was the wooden rocking horse. Amy whispered, Do you think I'd done all of that too? Stephen just stared at the line of toys, and then as if avoiding the topic altogether, said, We should put all of these back before we head out. Amy shook her head at the utter obliviousness of Stephen, especially in the face of this bizarre activity. But, unable to think of an answer, or in fact a better course of action at present, she joined him in gathering everything together and placing it back in Robert's room. A few hours later the couple arrived at Amy's parents to collect Robert. "'Who's Sammy?' asked John, Amy's father, as they gathered up Robert's belongings in the living room. "'Ah, well, Dad,' Amy began, but Stephen interrupted. "'An imaginary friend, John, that's all. I imagine he said he's been here as well.' "'No, no,' said John. "'He said he plays with him in his room of a night.' Amy felt a chill in her blood. You know what kids are like at that age, John, said Stephen, jamming a plush toy into a kid's backpack and zipping it shut. Well, no, none of my three had imaginary friends, replied John. It's a little spooky if you ask me. Oh, not you as well, said Stephen, rolling his eyes. At this, John looked at Amy. Amy replied with a shake of the head as if to say, just drop it. John just shrugged. Imaginary friends it is, then. Thanks for looking after him, John. I really appreciate it, called out Stephen as he opened the front door and headed out to the car. Amy was thinking of the right way to address this with Stephen, without it turning into an argument. She knew, she just knew, that Stephen was trying to block out the obvious. Something was happening in the house, and he had to accept it too, sooner rather than later. In a dark, twisted form of luck, the next few hours would do just that. On entering the house, Robert made a beeline for his bedroom, and Stephen was not too far behind, desperately needing the toilet. 
the two split into their separate directions as they reached the top of the stairs. And Sammy's been in my room, cried Robert. Arriving as quick as he could, Stephen stood in the child's bedroom doorway and surveyed the scene. Robert's bed had been pulled out from the wall and was now sat at an angle in the middle of the bedroom. His chest of drawers, which was nestled neatly in the corner of the room, had also been tugged away from where it sat, now finding itself pressed firmly against the bottom of the bed. Amy, hearing the commotion from upstairs, followed the pair quietly. But as she reached the top of the stairs and turned to join Stephen, something caught her eye. Stephen, Stephen, you won't believe this. Stephen, already bewildered by the scene in Robert's room, turned and followed Amy's eyes into their bedroom. There, placed snugly against the side of their bed, was the rocking horse. In a bid to try and take control of the situation, Amy directed Stephen in the task of tidying up the disarray, making idle chit-chat that neither of them were really paying attention to as they went about picking up toys and pushing the furniture back to its rightful place. A while later, Amy placed a sandwich in front of Robert at the kitchen table. I think Sammy's being naughty, Mum, said Robert, in an almost nonchalant manner, swinging his legs as he spoke. Amy felt a chill go down her spine. Why'd you think that, honey? she asked. Robert just shrugged and took a bite out of his sandwich. Stephen then entered the kitchen, and his face was white as a sheet. His expression alone made the panic rise in Amy's chest. What's wrong? she muttered. You're not going to believe this. Come and have a look. Almost shaking with fear, Amy followed Stephen up the stairs. She had a creepy feeling that she knew what was going to happen, and her fears were realised as her vision broke the crest of the landing, and there, defiantly looking back at her, was the rocking horse. I don't but... She stopped mid-sentence, as Stephen was shaking his head and breathing heavily. He gripped her hand. It's not just that. He led her by the hand into Robert's bedroom, and there, on his small child's drawing easel, in large scribbled letters, was the word, Die. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. 
Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. After once again moving everything back to its original place, Amy and Stephen sat in the kitchen with a stiff drink. I'm going to call a priest in, said Amy, playing with her glass. What, like an exorcist? joked Stephen. No, smart arse like a house blessing. They do them all the time, and it could clear the house of this Sammy thing. There was a sound from the staircase, as if some heavy blankets had been dropped on the landing. Amy and Stephen glared at each other and headed out to the hall. There, at the top of the stairs, looking back at them, was Robert's large, plush bunny rabbit, sat perfectly upright, glaring down with its large, plastic black eyes. "'I'm not sure this is a good idea,' muttered Stephen, fidgeting with his pockets. "'Well, I can't think of anything else to do,' said Amy. "'Besides, it's too late now.' Amy stepped forward and opened the front door. "'Father, I'm so glad you could come.' After the message appeared on the board, Amy had reached out to the parish priest and asked if they could have a full house blessing. She was reticent to divulge the full goings-on to the priest, and implied getting the house blessed was something they were always going to do, they just hadn't got round to it. Stephen watched the face of the priest as he went room to room, sprinkling holy water and muttering prayers under his breath. When the priest was finished, they thanked him, gave him a small envelope with a token donation for the church and sent him on his way. He didn't seem to notice anything, said Stephen, looking almost disappointed with the outcome. Well, he's not a psychic, replied Amy. Besides, I think it already feels lighter in here. Stephen just nodded in unconvinced agreement. Amy's belief and hope in a respite from the activity actually worked and for about a week, all activities seemed to cease. Then, one afternoon, Amy got Robert ready for a small family party at a relative's house. She packed him tightly into the child's seat and went back in to hurry Stephen along. No doubt still preening himself in the hall mirror, she thought. As she walked in the hall, Stephen was stood motionless at the foot of the stairs, staring at the landing It was the large rabbit. This time it was sat in the child-sized chair, with something glistening in its lap. The pair crept upstairs to investigate, and as they did, they realised that this thing had taken a new, darker turn. The glistening object in the plush toy's lap was a box cutter, its razor-like blade reflecting light upon the wall. Are you okay? 
Are you two fighting or something? John, Amy's dad, asked at the little gathering that afternoon. Amy didn't know what to say. She knew what it sounded like to tell the truth. She just wanted to break down to her dad, crying. Her eyes began to fill with tears. Sensing the impending emotional outburst and doing what he could to quell it, John put his arms around his daughter and quietly said, Remember, love, you always have a home with me and your mum. Amy gathered herself together, wiped her eyes and forced a smile. Thanks, Dad, she said. Little did John know just how quickly his kind words would be put to the test. That evening, Amy and Stephen once again drove home in silence, their individual minds running overtime about what they were experiencing. Amy gathered the sleeping Robert out of his child's seat and followed Stephen as he fumbled for his keys to open the front door. If you want to take him up to bed, I'll put the kettle on, said Stephen. Amy just nodded, stroking Robert's hair to keep him asleep. She'd never been so frightened going up those stairs as she was that evening. Gripping her son tightly to her chest, keeping her eyes peeled for anything out of place. But thankfully, all seemed calm. She lay Robert down and made her way downstairs and into the li- Get Robert, we're leaving. Stephen met her as she walked through the living room door. What? Why? Stephen pointed towards the kitchen. There, on the kitchen table, two of the chairs were stacked on top of each other, almost touching the ceiling in an unnatural way. Amy stared, terrified. They weren't like that when I came in. I filled the kettle, I turned around, and they were up there. Not a sound out of either of them, like it happened instantly. And that's everything that's happened up to now, said Amy letting the silence fill the room. Her father John looked on in disbelief. Well, he began, uh, obviously you can stay here, but... Um... Stephen and Amy, exhausted, sat on John's couch waiting for him to finish that sentence. He never did, though. This was too much information to take in. Cup of tea, everyone, said Amy's mother. Interjecting and forcing a smile. Amy and Stephen nodded. Please, said Stephen, and thank you both for this. Although it was a welcome break, it was unfeasible to pay a mortgage and live somewhere else. So Amy and Stephen decided to try and seek professional help. And this came in the form of paranormal researchers Darren Ritson and Michael Hallowell. The researchers' experience reassured the couple, and they advised the couple to document everything they were experiencing, stating they would carry out extensive interviews with everyone concerned with the case. Feeling like a plan was forming, and wanting to reclaim their home for themselves, the family moved back in. As if to welcome the returning family, the rocking horse was once again sat on the landing. Taking no prisoners this time, Stephen marched upstairs and gripped the wooden toy by its neck, dragging it down the stairs, carrying it out into the back garden and locking it up in the shed. 
Whilst this took place, Amy checked Robert's room. His writing board had the letters C-U, C-U, C-U written on it in felt tip. Following Stephen's lead, she picked up a cloth and wiped the board clean, folding it away and placing it in the cupboard. Their attitude had changed and they were treating this as the battle it well and truly was. However, in any battle, you should be aware of the depths that your enemy is willing to stoop to. And for Amy and Stephen, they could never imagine how low that would be. It would become evidently clear on their first night at home. Lights out and laying in bed, Amy felt something land near her stomach. She looked down, but in the darkness she couldn't quite make out what something hit her in the shoulder. Another one on the arm. Stephen, Stephen, wake up now. She shook her husband. Another thing was thrown, then another and another. She grabbed one and felt it. It was a plush toy. Something was launching Robert's toys at both of them as they lay there vulnerable in bed. Quicker and faster the toys came, bouncing off their raised arms. And then, as suddenly as the onslaught began, it stopped. Silence filled the room as Stephen and Amy gathered their breath. Stephen screamed out in fear and pain, clutching his back. Amy lifted up his shirt and checked, and there, forming in front of her eyes, were a total of 13 deep, red scratches. They immediately took Robert from his bed and spent the night huddled together in the living room. The next morning, Amy was awoken to the sound of banging from the back garden. Heading out to take a look, it was Stephen. He had the rocking horse on its side and was smashing it to pieces with a lump hammer. Noticing Amy in the doorway, he stopped. It was on the bloody landing this morning. The shed's still locked. How the hell? He shrugged, out of breath. Amy went back into the kitchen. Her phone received a text message. The sender said, unknown. Mum, mum said Robert, tugging at her dressing gown. She opened the message. In capital letters, it read, I'll get you. She felt dizzy. Robert pulled again at her gown. Mummy, mummy. What is it, love? She replied, still staring at the screen. Sammy's in the living room. Robert grabbed his mum's hand and led her into the living room. Oh, he's gone? declared Robert, plopping down on the couch. Amy hoped this was just a game. Ah well, she said, sitting in her chair. She pulled out her phone to reread the message, but it was gone. Deleted. Like it had never even been sent. Oh, here he is, declared Robert. Amy looked up slowly, just in time to see the cushion next to Robert start to sink as if a person had just taken a seat come on Robert love she said gesturing for Robert to join her in the kitchen she glanced back and the cushion rose back to its normal shape does he scare you mummy Amy didn't know how to answer a bit son yeah Robert nodded 
He's starting to scare me too. He floats above my bed at night staring at me. The following evening would be one of the last experiences the family would have. They were sitting downstairs watching TV when a noise from upstairs shook the entire house. Stephen and Amy ran up to check on Robert. He was sleeping soundly and they tried to back out of his room quietly. As they were shutting the door, something caught Amy's eye. In large letters, seemingly wrote in blue biro on the wallpaper, were the initials R.I.P. It will come as no surprise to anyone that the family sold up and moved away shortly after that experience. The idea that the entity was turning its attention to Robert was too much to bear. The family have reported that no strange events have occurred at their new family home, implying that whatever was in that South Shields property may still be there, waiting for the right time to announce its return. What an absolutely terrifying trail of events. I think one of the most interesting points is the fact that the family, once the tale began to circulate, started to get accusations of fraud. Trying to get in the newspapers, seeking fame and fortune with a ghost story. But an interesting fact which flies in the face of that idea is we still don't know the true identity of the family which was tormented by the ghost. They've asked for anonymity throughout. Not exactly the actions of people seeking five minutes of fame. And for me, something which adds validity and credence to their experience. One of the researchers of the case, Darren Ritson, wrote a book on the case, The South Shields Poltergeist, which aided me greatly in my research for this episode. I'd strongly recommend anyone who wishes to take a deep dive into the story checks it out. Believe me, there's far more that happened than I could hope to cover in one podcast. It's available from Amazon and all good bookstores. Before I sign off this episode, I'd like to once again thank you for choosing to spend your time with me on The Dark Paranormal. I can't wait till next week to bring you episode three, another hell of a case. And for our Patreons, I will speak to you on Sunday for another episode of Dark Bites. But in the meantime, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, try and leave your disbelief at the door, and I'll see you next time on The Dark Paranormal. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off. 
at MVMT.com.